Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from deep beneath an old-fashioned bug, it's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and my coding partner, Tyler Crawley. How goes it, my friend? Oh, my coding. You can't say that, man. You're going to get banned off Twitter. This isn't Twitter, man. This isn't Twitter. I I didn't know if you were learning to code yet or not, given the... uh, You know, kind of internalism. You know, it's so funny. You know, real quick, just to address that. What's so funny about that is that how clearly everyone misses the whole point, because like if you're talking about like someone that's working in like the coal industry, right? And you're like, go learn to code. I mean, obviously, it's kind of a ridiculous thing to say, Um, but it's because the industry itself is disappearing. Journalism isn't going anywhere. So the you know, so I get the whole idea, but. You know, journalism is probably there's probably never been more jobs ever in the in journalism. Uh, now we can define what journalism actually is, but that's that's why it doesn't make as much sense. I mean, it's it's sort of it's not that journalism is going away; it's that kind of journalism. <laughs> like if you know you're writing on the most obscure topics on the internet, uh, that's going away. But yeah, and for those people who don't speak insider uh, <laughs> knowledge, <laughs> there has been a um, been a uh, a back and forth discussion apparently over the last few days, over the last couple of weeks, a few journalists at uh, major news organizations, namely BuzzFeed, lost their jobs. So people have been tweeting at them, "You should learn to code," yeah. basically meaning get get a valuable skill. That is a job that's in demand, not a job that is dwindling. And uh, uh, people have confirmed or, or at least have sources that have confirmed that Twitter is is using that as a violation of their terms and service. Like they're <laughs> harassing them by telling them to get a skill set. So I had to throw that in there. Yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous all across the place. And just by the way, in case um, fashion bug, uh, greatest use of fashion bug <laughs> in a uh, in media today is uh, eastbound and down <laughs> is is there's a there's a scene where he makes a joke about fashion bug and I can't say it because it is just so much cuss words but it's very funny and if you like eastbound and down that's a scene I would go back to but speaking let's go back to coding for a second somebody who doesn't have to learn to code is Howard Schultz a man worth 3.3 billion dollars and I believe that that is verified 3.3 billion dollars former CEO of Starbucks he announced yesterday that he's thinking That's what we do nowadays. We don't announce we're running for president. We announce that we're thinking about running for president. He said he's thinking about it. He's looking into it. He would run as a centrist, independent, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat. And interestingly enough, Democrats freaked out. They're worried because I guess of all his social justice work that he might uh, appeal to Democrats. However, Trump apparently concerned because he tweeted that Schultz doesn't have the guts to run and that he still hopes that Schultz is paying him rent at, I guess, his Trump Tower building, which is weird because Trump supposedly divested himself from his business when he became president. But he's still arguing that the rent paid to Trump Tower goes to him. So go figure what that means. And I'm not sure if Trump's goading him into running because he wants him to siphon votes. I don't know what's going on there. But uh, the reason I bring that up is Bloomberg is also thinking about running and he's worth $47 billion. Trump claims to be a billionaire but pretty much most people agree he's probably worth about 300 million that would put schultz right in the middle of bloomberg and trump so he really would be a centrist with only 3.3 billion kevin uh is that what we need right now is a billionaire who is more in tune with what corporate america wants right now 
Wow, that sounds awfully loaded. Um, I mean, clearly, uh, clearly, you're right. He is the middle of the road billionaire, right? He's Just he's a billionaire not your, next door. Yeah, exactly. He's your he's your Mark Cuban billionaire. He's <laughs> yeah, in the uh, he's in the what what they call that the three comma club. Yeah, no, that'd, be so, four, that'd be four commas, right? Yeah, three commas and yes, four, four commas, four commas and a billionaire. Club. Yes. <laughs> I feel like we're almost to a Boy George song at this point. <laughs> They're just comma comma chameleons. But what I, I think I think that what I found most interesting about this is that the left is losing their mind at the prospect that a moderate Democrat could run and essentially destroy their primary. Because we all know. So, so let me circle back. Well, let, first let me of take all, a step all, back on that. We all know that their primary is going to be blown up anyway. I mean, it's it's January of 2019. They've already got like four people running. So I can only imagine what's going to happen over the next two years. So it's already blown up. So I don't, I don't know how I don't know how Schultz could blow it up anymore. Yeah, no, that's that's a valid point. And I I think what is funny is it is drawing out the the point that. Both parties seem to just be moving more towards their base, right? Isn't it the whole thing is that no moderate Republican had a chance in the 2016 primary because uh, everything was just moving more towards, uh, well, really populism with Trump. And then on the left, you just keep seeing the shift more and more and more away. I mean, it's making Nancy Pelosi look like George Bush at this point that you have AOC and Kamala Harris and uh, all of the the fringe of the party, Bernie Sanders, that are gaining so much momentum and popularity. And I don't think that's a popularity with the masses. I think that's a popularity with the media and with their base. Um, and I think that true Democrats are, are seeing that, and that's why they're afraid of an independent run by a lifelong Democrat, mind you, because um, he's going to represent a large part of the country and of their own party that is not being represented at all. Well, interesting is you know if you look at it by a lot of numbers, 40 percent of people, I think, according to the latest Gallup uh, data, are independents. Now, I did see uh, Larry Sub- Sabato, I always get his name wrong, uh, from University of Virginia, argued that the problem with that number is that a lot of people claim to be independent. Like, how many people claim they're not Republican? I'm not a Republican. I'm an independent. I'm so tired of that party. Yet they vote like straight ticket every single time for Republicans. But they do that as like a protest to not be a Republican. And he said that number is a little misleading. And a lot of independents are actually, you know, diehard partisans who just claim that because they get mad with the establishment of their party. I mean, think about. You know, Bernie Sanders is an independent. People forget that. Uh, but he's diehard liberal. So to look at him as an, a pure independent is kind of ridiculous. And it always used to be, right, you run to the middle to win the independent. And what I'm wondering, and I'm glad you brought up the populism of Trump, is that you know 30% of the Republican base is with Trump no matter what. 30% or I should say 30% of people in this country are the Republican base and they're with Trump no matter what. 30% of, of the country is the Democrat base and they're with whoever the nominee is uh, no matter what. That's 60%. And what's weird is that both the Democrats and the Republicans are both at the far ends are pushing populism. They just don't realize it yet. And if someone does realize that and capitalize on it, it's game over. I mean, if someone, I mean, if you think about it, Trump talks about what? I mean, he's gotten mad at Wall Street. You know, he talks about being anti corporation. Uh, he talks about, you know, the state having more power, the executive having more power, morals being defined by the state. I mean, these are, you know, big state, big government. Tucker Carlson's gone on rants 
about big government and, you know, it's the job of government to take care of us. I mean, just crazy things that, you know, would have been so far left back in the day. And people on the right are now saying this. And if someone realizes this and can somehow find a way to capture the 30% on both ends, like I said, I think it's game over. Just What's so funny is that both ends hate each other. You know, AOC hates Trump. Trump hates AOC and their supporters, definitely. Yet their arguments are so they're 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 like parallels of each other. I mean, it's amazing. They're like they like mirror each other. They're both making the same arguments. And like I said, if someone figures that out, it's it, they're going to get a big windfall. Yeah. And and the, the one last thing I want to mention on this is I think also at the same time you have the moderate Democrats, you've got the Howard Schultz um, of the party really starting to push back and say, wait, 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 I'm, I'm not a communist. Like this, this isn't, these people don't represent me. And the reason I say this is that something really stood out to me on Twitter recently and I screenshot it. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be brief and kind of summarize here, but I follow Marcus Lemonis, who is from the profit on uh, CNBC Mm -hmm. where he goes around and invest in companies. And he's, he's a lifelong Democrat. He's ran for office before as a Democrat. He's from Florida. And I, this really caught my eye because he had retweeted something that um, Elizabeth Warren had tweeted about, uh, quote, the rich and powerful run Washington. Here's one benefit they wrote for themselves after making a killing from the economy they've rigged. They don't pay taxes on that accumulated wealth, um, dot, dot, dot. And what he had commented in the retweet was that he said, I can't speak for Washington, but just want to understand this. A small business owner puts it all on the line, risks everything pays taxes, and when he slash she achieves success and becomes a big business and builds wealth, you penalize them? And so here you have a lifelong Democrat who is successful and what we would think of as, as kind of a moderate, um, you know, pro-working class type Democrat, a, a, a Clinton, Bill Clinton Democrat, who's now kind of going after Elizabeth Warren, one of the front runners for 2020. So, I, I, I mean, I think they've got a lot of issues to sort out. Uh, very, very soon. I will say this, but the one thing I like about Howard Schultz, every time he's talked, he talks about the uh, national debt and he's the only one that does. And to me, that's the biggest issue that's going to destroy this country. People think it's the southern border. People think it's, you know, our lack of, you know, racial equality. No, 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 no. Those things are, are minor inconveniences. The big thing in this country that will destroy this country doesn't matter how tight our southern border is or how equal we are. If we get to the point where we can't make our payments and we have to print money and we cause hyperinflation, Venezuela is all I got to say. That's what is going to happen to us. And no one talks about it. He's the only one that talks about it. So that's why I, I like his candidacy. If he can start getting more people talking about uh, the national debt, then I will be a happy person. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people aren't factoring in is that I think he has a chance to steal as many Republican votes as he does Democrat votes, because there are a lot of people who look at Trump and go, you know, he's not he's not really a conservative Republican at all. And we have these bigger issues such as the national debt. And he's sure not talking about it. And and I'm really glad you brought that up, Tyler, because, you know, right now we just had the longest government shutdown in American history. And. Frankly, we're set now for another government shutdown. They reached a deal last week, but it only buys legislators a few weeks to to kind of get their act together and get something sorted out until the government shuts down again. 
Now, over that government shutdown, all we really saw were delayed paychecks, a lot of empty rhetoric on both sides of the aisle, and um, of course, a bunch of overfilled trash cans. As we're headed towards this next impending shutdown, I can't help but wonder if any of it even matters at this point. We talk about the government, uh, the debt and the deficits and and where we're headed. And I'm not sure that there's anything that could really be done at this point to fix or change anything. So, Tyler, I, I guess my question is, can the government ever be contained, much less reduced at this point? Uh, I, I think that this should be a wake up call. I mean, that was the thing that I took away from the shutdown was how just ingrained it is in every single aspect of our life. I mean, that's I mean, that's what led to the shutdown ending was people at LaGuardia getting angry. And someone joked that one of Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago members must have gotten like stuck on the tarmac, like his private jet or something, <laughs> you know, was you know, at a probably hold, so. was in a holding yeah. pattern. They were like, you better open this government back up. And so I think that's I, it, it, what's crazy is how a government shutdown could cause so much chaos at LaGuardia. I mean, I, you know, obviously I understand, you know. You know, security and everything else, but we're talking about private planes and a whole bunch of private transactions, but yet the government is essential for all of that to work. And I think that that is something that we need to start looking into. I mean, there were other aspects. You, you, you'd hear stories about how this can't happen, you know, like the mortgage industry being impacted because, you know, mortgages and, and uh, people not being able to get tax data and all these things. And so maybe it's not a bad thing the government is involved to verify certain things. Maybe it's not a bad thing the government's involved so much in the airport, but it does show how ingrained it is in all of our lives, every single thing we do every single day. And that should concern people. Uh, there's no doubt, not just because the government can, you know, I guess, as they say, right. The, the old saying that any, the government, a government big enough to give you what you want is big enough to take it all away. And that's something that should concern us because think about how disrupted we could be if someone got into power and wanted to really cause pain on political enemies and was shutting things down for the purposes of hurting those people you know all the things they always say trump's gonna do and of course he never does but they always know oh, he's gonna do this he's gonna go after his political enemies and the reality is, is if someone was in that position they could and that's why you, we need to start passing laws based on the old principle of imagine your worst enemy having this power is it still a good thing and if the answer is to no, is no which it normally is then it shouldn't be on the books and maybe this will be a wake-up call for everyone yeah, I mean, just think of where we have come in recent history when you're talking about JFK and the uh, J. Edgar Hoover FBI spying on Martin Luther King and government abuse, things that were such such egregious acts at the time. I mean, even when we talk about Nixon, which has come up a lot with the uh, with the Roger Stone arrest uh, over the uh, the last few days, and and so everybody's talking about Nixon and they keep comparing Trump to Nixon and. And what Nixon did, I mean, was was not good. Well, Stone's but not helping at, with that either. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I mean, uh, as far as heroes go, you could probably have better, better heroes than Richard Nixon. But at the same time, look at what has happened since then. It just it keeps snowballing. And for people to not be afraid of Clinton's abuse of power, um, you know, I mean, even you go back to a lot of people talk about, you know, the Iran-Contra deal and um, I mean, Republicans and Democrats alike. There's there's a problem with power and the abuse of that, even if it's with the best intentions. Right. So why doesn't anybody ever take a step back and say maybe we should not give them this much power and authority and then they can't abuse it? But I, I just feel like we keep 
tunneling forward as fast as we can. And and I, I don't know how you ever even slow that train down. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought up Nixon because Nixon, of course, created the EPA, which liberals love. And it's weird because shouldn't they be skeptical of that? Like, why did Nixon create the EPA? Like Nixon to them is the devil. And he was obviously someone who was insanely paranoid and also terrifyingly brilliant. And that's that's the problem uh, when, when someone is is not only corrupt, but they're also very, very smart. And so he creates the EPA and you would think that liberals would be skeptical of it because why did he do that? Was he doing it to get power and have control over companies and da, 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 but no, they love it. And so that is the problem is that they look and go, Oh, well no, the EPA is good and it's great. And you're like, yeah, but the guy that created it, you guys can't stand. And so you got to ask, why did he create it? And who knows why Nixon created it? Oh, cause he was an environmentalist maybe, or maybe because he realized the power of having regulatory power over companies you could then control the companies and control them um you know what they do and what they're able to do and hold them hostage hold you know states hostage. i mean we, we talked about the you know i've had congressman david rouser on my show multiple times talking about waters of the usa which gave the federal government power over like a puddle by the by the, the loose definition of what exactly water like standing water or whatever that you know a waterway is or whatever it is they used to define that but it was like areas of farms that would never be considered uh, under the regulatory power the federal government would be because of waters of the USA and the Republicans fought back on that. But it just goes to show you maybe that is why Nixon created the EPA was to have more power. And yet the Democrats aren't skeptical of it at all because they look at it as, oh, no, it'll only be used for good, even though one of their biggest enemies created this government program. And who knows what what his goal was to use with it. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It might be a conspiracy, but it's also, you know, the Dark Knight thing, right? Mass surveillance. Uh, um, you know, Morgan Freeman was not going to stand for that. And I think we can all take a lesson from that. That is very true. We do. We need more Morgan Freemans in the uh, in the U.S. government. Uh, all right, let's move to some North Carolina news. We had some, we had actually a lot, there's a lot going on, actually. The long session's about to begin. But there's one branch of the government that the Republicans – at one point we're, we're, you know, rightfully concerned about and did a good job of getting people on the, on the bench. And of course I'm talking about the judicial branch here in North Carolina. Uh, but after two poor election cycles, the four to three majority for Republicans had dropped to a five to two majority, which is, you know, that's, that's worrisome. We're talking eight year terms here. So once you get control of, of that branch and we all know how, how expansive the judicial branch has become over years with them getting into new areas that never even thought possible. I feel like the Republicans have dropped the ball a little bit on this. Now we're down five to two. Well, it looks like things are about to get even worse. Mark Martin has now announced uh, he is the chief justice of the North Carolina Supreme court. He's announced that he is resigning to take a Dean position at Regent university in Virginia beach, which means that it's possible depending on who governor Cooper puts in that position that could be down to six to one. Now I'm hoping it remains five to two. And my optimism is based on the reality that in the last judicial election for the Supreme court, Barbara Jackson came in second behind, was it Anita Earls? I think it was Earls or whoever. That is correct. Okay. Yes. So Barbara Jackson came in second. We were told that when we were putting partisan labels next to the judges, Democrats told us that judges are not partisan. All their job is to do is to uphold the Constitution. So, Kevin, if that is true and Democrats do not 
see partisan labels, then shouldn't Governor Cooper appoint the last top vote getter in the state, Barbara Jackson, to the Supreme Court to fill Mark Mark Martin's uh, vacancy? I mean, clearly, I mean, we we know that Ray Cooper is just the beacon of logical thought and appealing <laughs> to the exactly. to the masses and the and the logical reason. No, in fact, I think what you have is called a logical fallacy, Tyler. The none of that, therefore, um, ipto ad hoc, <laughs> post hoc, ergo proctor hoc. After this, Thank therefore, you. after this, therefore, because of this. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I needed um, former representative Stan to help out with that. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no. I, th- I think that that's the problem right there is that you started with a false premise and everything went down. <laughs> Um, you're, I mean, th- that's the funny part, right? And I see you tweet about this a lot. Pete Callender on the radio in Asheville tweets about this a lot. That yeah. and an impartial, fair judicial system is actually just a Democrat-loaded judicial system to the people who say that. Um, which is funny because, I mean, I, I just don't understand what people think the judicial branch was meant to do. They think it was meant to legislate and rule. It's supposed to be all three branches wrapped into one in their opinion because they are able to override any legislation that they don't feel um, fits in with with their agenda a lot of the times um, they don't go back to originalist meaning they take and and I will say in defense of the current North Carolina Supreme Court makeup even though it is a five to two kind of kind of shift and it was a, a, a four three for a period of time that they actually I think ruled very fairly on a couple of the major issues of the balance of power that came when you're talking about the State Board of Education um, and DPI versus um, versus the legislature. I think they really looked at that in a fair manner. But there's a lot of stuff, too, that you, you just don't want to leave that open to a judicial branch that could now be 6-1. I mean, if that is the case, it will never change. Well, it will take a long time. I mean, decades <laughs> to get that back. Yes, at best. So, well, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the nonpartisan because this is the thing that drives me crazy about the gerrymandering argument like gerrymandering, gerrymandering is that when Democrats advocate for nonpartisan, fair, whatever it is, the only reason they're advocating for that is because they know that by doing that, it's going to get more Democrats. So, whether it's we need no judicial labels next to uh, judicial races or, no, or nonpartisan uh, la- or partisan labels next to judicial races because they know that for the long time, people voted for Republican judges. And so it wasn't about like fair or nonpartisan. It was about knowing that, uh oh, people are going to vote Republican. We don't want that to happen. So it was about getting more Democrats elected. <laughs> Gerrymandering. You know, this whole idea of we need, you know, an, a nonpartisan committee to come together. They're only saying that because now Republicans are benefiting from gerrymandering. They never advocated for that when the Democrats controlled the state for 100 years. And so they're not advocating it for these altruistic reasons. They're advocating for something because they know it's going to benefit their party and their ideology. And that's fine, but it just it's so disingenuous that it drives me crazy because that's precisely why they didn't want partisan labels and judge races. It's precisely why they want a nonpartisan uh, board to decide uh, the uh, the districts. That's what it's all about. It has nothing to do with being fair. It has with them picking up more seats. 
No, you're you're 100 percent correct. And honestly, that's where I think both parties fall short in being nearsighted is that they don't realize that they kind of need to be playing this in advance. Like if you think about the way things have been shifting in North Carolina, it's really the Republicans need to be the proactive ones switching it back (laughs) to give themselves an advantage in case they lose the majority in 2020. Because then you're going to talk, talk about another hundred years in the wilderness. That will be North Carolina Republican Party well, right there. Yeah. And the fact we're getting a new district because of you know, the uh, census and our population has grown so much. Now we're the ninth most populous state. We're getting a new district. And I guarantee you it's not going to be in rural North Carolina. <laughs> that district that district is going in like Wake or Mech. And, the, and so we're going to be like, oh, that's going to be another district for them. And that's just going to keep growing as these cities get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that you're right. And what I don't understand is, is why it doesn't seem like the people in the power to do the right thing are thinking that long term. Well, it seems to definitely be short term uh, oriented thinking. Well, I think it's also it's the same reason why people who make a lot of money never save any money because they're like, this is never going to end. You know, it's like MC Hammer uh, syndrome where you just assume you're always going to have the number one album and you're always going to be having the number one hit on the charts. So why save any money or put it away? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're that number one hit, you're a one hit wonder. And you, don't, you realize that that money's not going to keep flowing in. Republicans are sort of under this idea that we're never going to lose an election. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. Same thing happened to the Democrats. And then 2010, they got smoked. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you'd call it. I know there's some technical psychological term for that, but it's definitely happened to the Republicans right now. We will call that the can't touch this mentality. <laughs> I like it. So I'm glad you brought up the the, the 2019 session getting started, though, because um, it seems like the 2018 session just ended, although it did drag on for about an additional did. six months. <laughs> so it really did just uh, just end. But we're already in, uh, you know, in full steam headed towards the 2019 long session. And thankfully, It's the first one in many, many years that I don't have to be a part of. Perhaps more interestingly, though, it will be the first time since 2013 that Republicans have not had override power. Ray Cooper and his larger minority party are poised to cause even more trouble this year. I uh, I fully anticipate that coming and there will be more lawsuits, vetoes and just general kerfuffle. The media is already pushing the new legislature towards Medicaid expansion, new gun laws, teacher pay increases, and uh, and much more of that particular uh, agenda. Given the legislature's track record of questionable decisions and Cooper's record of bad faith vetoes, I'm actually wondering if anything is going to get accomplished this year. Or, Tyler, are the good old days of the Republican Reformation here in North Carolina just in our rearview mirror? Uh, I totally missed your question. <laughs> At least you're honest about it. I know. I was going to try and see if I could fake it. And I was like, nah, I, I totally no. completely blanked out when you, when you asked the question. I was already getting ready to say something and then I, I didn't pay attention to your question. So please repeat your question again. That's OK. Let me start over. Tyler. <laughs> I even say your name before just to to help you get ready to pay attention. But Tyler, are the good old days of the Republican Reformation here in North Carolina in our rear view? Ah, there you go. I was going to say that anyway. So that that actually worked out. You could have just said yes. No, no, we're not. No, they're not. Things are going to continue because one of the key benefits, and I was actually talking to uh, Representative Holly Grange this morning on my show, 
talking about the upcoming long session and we were talking about the budget battle and obviously Cooper wants Medicaid uh, expansion. He wants teacher salary increase. He wants all these things. And we do have a surplus, probably not to the extent that he wants to spend money on. But here's the interesting thing. A couple of years ago, they passed a, a provision, a statute, whatever it is, that if no budget, because remember, every once in a while, they would come to the end of the fiscal year and they wouldn't have a budget. And they'd have to pass a CR, very similar to what happens up in, in uh, D.C., except that would be for a year. This would only be for maybe a couple of weeks. And then they would figure it all out and things would move forward. But it could cause a disruption if they weren't able to agree. So they they uh, uh, put something forward that from now on, if there is no budget, the old budget just continues to stay in effect. And so they technically don't have to come to an agreement and they could kind of do what they do in Washington, which is they just don't pass a budget. And that would actually be to the Republicans' benefit. So the Republicans don't have to capitulate too much. I think it's a good idea for Republicans and Democrats to get along and get things done. I mean, elections have consequences, as they say. But if they're demanding you know, Medicaid expansion, teacher salary increases, raising – I mean, they're, if they're demanding everything on their wish list, Republicans can go, okay, we're not doing that. And we kind of are in the driver's seat because if we can't agree, then – then the budget just stays as is. So that's to our benefit. So the Republicans are still in the driver's seat uh, and they are still in a better negotiating position. So things maybe not be as great, but they can still say they can still stay pretty, pretty good. So uh, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think one of the things I'm wondering is that could we potentially see the old fashioned? Well, I say old fashioned North Carolina has never had compromise. Democrats did whatever they wanted to do. In fact, I've heard so many good stories of years not too long ago where one or two people wrote the entire budget. It wasn't even like it is now where there's a lot of debate and input and back and forth. It was two people wrote the budget. If you didn't get on board, they were not going to help you campaign the next cycle. It was it was just that simple. And so now, you know, we've got a much more robust debate system around the budget and different appropriations and, and financial components. But I'm wondering if if the progress we've been seeing over the last eight years is going to really slow down as far as tax cuts um, obviously, they can't even agree on corporate welfare at this point. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much ground we can make or will we see compromise where we might see a continued reduction in uh, corporate taxes and personal income taxes in exchange for increased teacher pay or so like, like will we see what you and I grew, grew up seeing as far as bipartisan compromise? I mean, it's... I'm trying to. I, 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 I will, what, how about I answer my own question okay. while you think about it? <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't I'm know. Really, I'm, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I don't. I don't see how it's possible, given that I listened to pretty much every floor debate for the last four years, and at this level, it has become so partisan, just like it has on the national level, that even the most common sense, middle of the ground approaches, it's not even been a total right wing Tea Party agenda. It's been a more moderated Republican agenda, just gets lambasted by the minority party on the floor. So I'm not sure if if and when they would could work together. I mean, I hope they do, but I just don't see it. Well, there's a couple. There was a what? Who was a Democrat that flipped? Um, became a Republican. I can't remember who that uh, was. Brisson? Yeah. 
And so there, I think, are, you know, North Carolina, we're not as bad as some other states where I think there are still some Democrats who definitely kind of have that blue dog streak where and we only got to pick up what, you know, three or four in each chamber. And so I think it's possible. I, I don't think you're going to see 100 percent bipartisanship. I mean, there's no doubt. But, yeah, I think you could pick up a few enough Democrats to override Cooper's veto. I mean, what really is going to come down to is what happens to Cooper. I mean, how. Because he's sort of been in this position where he knows no matter everything he does is going to get overridden uh, and he can just go Republicans, Republicans, Republicans. But if he does something like too liberal and it causes moderate Democrats to get on board with the Republicans going, hey, you know, you guys put forward a pretty good budget and it would be irresponsible for me not to get on board with this. I think it's going to put Cooper in an interesting position where he kind of, you know, because he likes to straddle that that line between being a you know crazy lib and being the sort of, uh, you know, more moderate Democrat. And now we're going to find out because if he does go too far to the left, I think that could push some more moderate Democrats to go. You know what? I'm not going to side with the governor on this. You guys are far more level headed on this issue. I, I think you're right. I think he has to um, he has to pick a side. But unfortunately, as we talked about with the national, uh, you know, Democrat primary coming up, there, there are really two parties at at war right now, and they've got to figure out which which team they're they're going to play on. Would you see that? Uh, I saw Callender tweet this about Cooper's going to announce his reelection in New York City. Yeah, fundraiser on Wednesday. <laughs> what I is did he? see that. That is not, I'll tell you right now, if I'm a Democrat in North Carolina, I'm like, no, you're not doing that. Are you kidding me? I have to defend this? <laughs> like, no, you are canceling that fundraiser. Maybe it shouldn't have gotten out. But if I'm a Democrat right now, I am just absolutely chastising uh, Cooper and telling and calling his office and saying, he better cancel this now. That is going to look horrible. Going for he's announcing his reelection in New York City. Oh, that's that's just that's not going to go over very well. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and I think now that it's gotten publicity, it will probably it will probably get canceled. I yeah, think. I, I think but, I, there's, there's PR wise, there's no way he gets out of that without looking like a complete idiot. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because that is that is hilarious. Is there anything else that we need to cover as closing time is fast approaching? What was the question? I missed it again. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's late for me, man. I mean, it's, this is like, this would be like for a regular person. This would be like doing a nine o'clock podcast. <laughs> so I'm just saying like, it's a little late for me. So you got to, my brain sometimes slows down around this point. That's all right. T- to be fair, one week we'll, uh, we'll do it at 4 a.m. We'll <laughs> that like way you'll so have the sharp. advantage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my four quarter coffee, dude. I've been up for an hour. <laughs> oh, oh my. Oh my. All right, my friend. Well, um, how about we, uh, we'll, we'll start the streak over. We kind of went a little over a week. So yes. I think we've got to, we've got to start the timer all over again, <sighs> but, um, Let's do it again next week and 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 see if we can uh, build a new streak uh, for the new year. That sounds good, man. I will see you next week. Sounds good. See ya.